It is that time, Peter. Welcome back. You've had a haircut. <laughs> Good afternoon. Good afternoon, and yes, I have had a haircut. Mm. This afternoon we're talking, oh, I'm not going to comment on it because it looks the same as your others. Uh, we've got anxiety on your big show today. Is anxiety getting the better of you? Yeah, look, it's such a such a big area and um, such an area that I'm seeing growing in practice all the time. More and more patients of all ages coming in, you know, talking about anxiety and how it affects their life. So we've talked about it a couple of times before, but I thought we'd re- refocus on anxiety. It was interesting what um, um, Professor Susan Hillier was talking about earlier on about um, stroke victims and yoga and Tai Chi. So, again, common sense, that's going to relate back to um, having a calmer nervous system as well. So I thought that was great that science is now starting to anything, validate these ancient practices. Anything that calms you down, Peter, is a good start. Absolutely. Hey? Straight to the phone, talking anxiety today. And good afternoon, Gary. You have some questions for Peter today. Well, Peter, I sort of want to turn another card in the deck. Um, I have a partner who suffers from the anxiety a lot um, and sometimes renders me a bit helpless. Is that the right word? Yep. I was just wondering what sort of advice you'd have for the people on the other side of the fence that's that's dealing with partners and so forth in this situation. Is there anything you would say to them? Oh, look, look, definitely, Gary, and it's a really good point. you know, there's a theory that if if you're living with someone that has depression, um, then often the care or partner will end up with similar symptoms themselves. So maintaining your space in a relationship when someone has anxiety is really important. And I think what I would suggest is try and learn as much as you can about anxiety and, and how it affects someone and what's actually going on because that will give you some clues about how you can support your partner when she's suffering from anxiety. Like the worst thing, if someone's in, a, in, 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 a, in an anxious loop, like the brain actually bypasses the part of the brain to do with rational thinking. So if someone's really anxious about something, um, quite literally you can't talk them, talk them out of what they're thinking. Right. Does that okay. make sense? But what yep. you can do yep. is if you can learn some of the cognitive breathing techniques and sit with them and take them through, let's do a relaxation, let's do a meditation, um, let's do the breathing exercises. You'll find that if they're actually having a panic attack, you'll be able to help them settle and come out of it quicker. Um, yeah. But also along the way, encouraging those lifestyle changes, what Susan Hillier was talking about earlier today. Anxiety is a classic case of when an anxiety attack's happening or when the anxiety is really high, it's a bit like trying to shut the gate once the horse has bolted. So. Yeah. And you'll know you'll have a flare-up where everything will be anxiety-evoking and then you'll have a period where things settle down. In those periods between, that's when you can really focus on doing yoga together, going for a walk every day, you know, encouraging some of those um, uh, lifestyle changes that we all need um, support with sometimes to So help your partner to have a better calmer nervous system in between the episodes of anxiety and then learn some techniques either by going to her psychologist with her or doing some research yourself about things you can actually do to help her when she's having an acute episode. It's just, yeah, we, we, we hear a lot of talking about the anxiety and, and, and we do learn a lot from whatever we hear, but um, I just don't, haven't seen her, yeah. heard anyone talking about, you know, the people that support these people with anxiety and and the hurdles that they've got to get over. Absolutely, absolutely. And as I said, like 
when when you're in that sort of environment, you have to be conscious of really looking after your nervous system as well, that you're not going, you know, down a, down a similar road. I, I I would definitely have a think about those things that I said, but um, it may even be worthwhile taking your wife along to see a naturopath because they we often will have a different view of anxiety and how to manage it, and it may even be worthwhile getting some extra support yourself from a stress coping point of view. And some of the things I'll be some of the things I'll be talking about today will be really relevant with you as well. Okay, not a problem. All right, but there's definitely definitely help there, and definitely lots you can be doing. Whatever you do to help improve your stress coping, if you can make that part of your relationship as well, that's going to yep. make it have a big impact. Thank you very much, Gary, and uh, do take care. So, uh, Peter, let's, let's let's peel it back just a little bit. There, anxiety. Um, uh, what what are some of the the symptoms? Some of the things that cause anxiety. Well, look, it, it, it Gary had a really good point, didn't he? There about mm. you know we focus a lot on on conditions, but like people living with people that have these episodes, like. But but again, as I said to Gary, it's, it's trying to look at a holistic way of supporting not only your own lifestyle but your partner's lifestyle as well. It's always and, tricky when you're a, 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 a carer. And that might not be the right word in this case, but whenever you're caring for somebody with that's going through something, um, those folks can quite often get caught lost in the shuffle a bit. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's probably, I don't know of any anxiety support groups for carers, but I'm sure there's, like anxiety is an epidemic, like, the st- stats are saying that you know, you know, most of us will have an episode of anxiety at some point in our life. So it's something that we're all going to experience at times. And understanding how it occurs, um, you know, certain predisposing factors. If there's a family history of anxiety, then you may be more prone towards developing anxiety. Um, so it does tend to run in families, and a lot of times, like stress and anxiety, can be part of our normal response to stuff. You know, like if you're really anxious about something, um, it sort of gives you the energy to get, make it happen. If you've got an assignment you've got to get in and you're really stressed and you leave it to the last minute like a lot of us do, it's that stress and anxiety that gets you across the line. And um, I see a lot of kids every year doing their HSC and they'll often come in, you know, in that year saying that you know, they're suffering from stress and anxiety. And, and I sort of say to them, well, look, it's a double-edged sword. Like, you, it's hard to be a high achiever without a certain amount of anxiety or stress to get you across the line. But so, so with anxiety, there's mild, moderate, and severe. And true anxiety is where um, that stress response can be triggered, that fight-or-flight response can be triggered to the degree or to a point where it's starting to interfere with your life, that you won't go certain places because you feel anxious or... I guess the trick is learning what is a natural, almost good response to something, or something than knowing that you've gone too far. Oh, look, absolutely. But it's a bit like anxiety and depression are very similar. For a lot of people that have never experienced anxiety before, it's hard for them to understand if you're in a state, an anxious state, and you're saying, "Well, but what happens if it, if it, you know, if this happens or that happens?" And there's the other person saying, "What are you talking about? What are you even worrying about that for?" Can't say that to that. That doesn't help an anxious person because mm. they're stuck in that loop. So my version of anxiety is what happened is that happens is that the nervous system gets so used to being turned on. You know that fight or flight response. Mm. It's a primitive part of our brain. Actually, all animals have that fight or flight response. If you're in the jungle, come across a tiger. It's that surge of adrenaline to wrestle the tiger or climb the nearest tree, and that response should turn on for 15 to 17 minutes and then turn back off. That's as long as our stress response should last. 
unfortunately, and for those sensitive individuals, a lot of us these days are constantly in that fight or flight response. So we're constantly turned on all the time. And what happens, even when you're anxious, your the, your stress system should kick in. You produce certain hormones. Once it gets to a certain point, though, your brain should throw a switch and turn it back off again. But what happens with anxiety is they kind of break that switch and the stress response kicks through the through the ceiling and then it's kind of like a runaway train. So they don't have any control over how long it takes to come back down. And often by then, something else is setting it off. So... Instead of hills and valleys, it's just hills and hills. Hills and hills, yeah, yeah absolutely. Peter, we're, we're continuing to talk about anxiety and I guess some of the things that we should be on the lookout for, for our friends, our family, our loved ones that we think might actually be in that space. What are some of the, the symptoms that are out there? So, um, yeah, so I, I guess the main point from that last section I was trying to make is that um, anxiety is like is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And when people have it, like it's, it is something that needs to be sorted and the good news is that you really can recover from anxiety you can repair that whole stress so it's your stress coping response and then eventually your brain chemistry that shifts with anxiety and keeps you in that anxious loop so it's like you get it's like a record stuck on a on a bad you know with a bad crack in it It just keeps doing the same thing over and over so but you can recover from that so that's the good news um some of the symptoms um you know, physical symptoms can include, you know, racing heart, hot flushes, sweating, uh, rapid breathing. And um, interestingly, back to what Gary was asking about before, breathing techniques, deliberately changing your breathing pattern when you're having a panic attack can bring you out of a panic attack much, much quicker. Because it's interesting, when you've got anxiety, your breathing pattern changes. You actually partially hyperventilate, which makes your um, balance of oxygen and carbon dioxide shift which makes you even more anxious. Because Great. It's so all the, the symptoms make it worse. They're not, just, they're not just a byproduct. They actually make it worse. Absolutely. So the idea is that when you're anxious, your breathing pattern changes. You upset the oxygen-carbon dioxide balance, which makes you more anxious, which makes you ready to do the fight-or-flight thing. But if you're just sitting in your room looking at your, you know, um, looking out the window, then obviously that's, that's not going to be helpful. So breathing makes a big difference. Um, and often a lot of gut issues as well. Like a lot of my patients that I see with irritable bowel or gut issues have stress and even more so anxiety often as a driver. You know, a lot of the patients that I see have anxiety as their biggest issue. They'll come in for headaches, gut issues, insomnia, but really it's their anxiety. That's the driver for all these other conditions. It's causing all those other things yeah. when, you get, when you break it down. Yep. Yep, as a major driver for a lot of a whole host of things. Um, emotional sensations, feeling of excess worry, panic, fear or guilt, obsessive thinking, you know, going over and over stuff um, and behaviours as well. Um, often I've had someone recently that is only just starting to recon- recognise that they're um, alcohol drinking and um, overeating is really what they've done. They think of themselves as well-functioning, but they've been doing that to mask their underlying anxiety for a long time. So it's not always as obvious as, oh, yes, I'm having panic attacks. Um, So it can be in the behaviours as well, generally feeling tense, wound up. But anxiety is more um, that catastrophizing, you know, like looking at the glass is always half empty, Like, but to the extreme. Like we all can get a bit that way. We can all get stressed and we can all get negative. We can get a, or get anxious, but anxieties, that plus a whole lot more. 
really is, isn't it? There's so much in this. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Look, we'll, we'll come back in a little while and talk about, I guess, breaking the cycle because this rich is really what we want to get to and uh, how to conquer the anxiety monster. Peter, we've, we've talked a lot about some of the symptoms, what anxiety can do, and let's find out how to break that cycle or some of the thoughts behind breaking the cycle. Well, look, definitely um, anxiety, like the same way um, naturopaths approach health generally, there's, there's never just one fix. There's never just one medication. Or so one that supplement. silver bullet that you got in your pocket, that's not for this? <laughs> no, unfortunately. So anxiety is a classic example because you've got the acute situation that you're trying, trying to manage and calm that down. And then you've got the long-term under, underlying drivers, which can include things like gut health, liver stress, nutrient deficiencies. Um, as we were talking about with Gary, getting those lifestyle things in place, yoga, tai chi, going for a walk every day, stressing less about general things. So there's a whole whole host of things you can be doing to help improve anxiety. But some of the great, there's some really good studies coming out now about how effective herbal medicine might be, particularly in helping with the acute type of stuff. Um, one study I came across talking about um, saffron. So saffron's a herb that we use often in herbal mixes. Um, that it's a safe and um, um, effective um, helping people with major depression. So there's studies done with saffron, um, turmeric, 25 grams a day, which is a lot, um, improves major depression in eight weeks. Um, so again, these are all just studies that have been done. Um, another study with turmeric improving symptoms of depression. Um, turmeric also improves symptoms of anxiety. A herb we have called Zisyphus. Um, it actually has an inhibitory effect on glutamate-mediated excitatory signaling pathways in the hippocampus. So, what excitory, that means, <laughs> excitatory pathways. <laughs> so, what that means is glut- glutamine or glutamate is the like excess glutamate um, drives that anxiety response. Um, where it's the GABA pathways or the GABA neurotransmitter we want to encourage. So, Zisyphus helps to and actually. Zisyphus was shown to reduce stress damage to the mood area of the brain. So that's another challenge with um, chronic long-term stress is the brain actually becomes affected. We talk about the brain being very plastic, but different parts of the brain can actually get damaged due to long-term stress. So Zisyphus, one of the herbs we use, can actually reduce stress damage. Um, Passionflower is one of my favorite herbs for anxiety. Um, And it was one study here showed that it had a rapid anti-anxiety effect 2.8 2.8 grams daily dose of passion flower um, compared the efficacy to certain anxiety medication and the results were very comparable. Um, Carver, there was a great study done down at Monash University treating, comparing Carver for the treatment of general anxiety disorder to the benzodiazepine family and they found that the results were just as effective with none of the side effects. And one last thing, and this is something I'm really big on with all my patients, is um, making sure your magnesium levels are good. So low magnesium is being linked to mood disorders. Um, it's being called the mental mineral. Um, this deficiency has been associated with a huge range of mental disorders, depression, hyperexcitability, behavioral disturbances, headaches, seizures, irritability. Um, so with that potentially being almost a silver bullet in itself... Uh, ma- look, magnesium, uh, magnesium... How do we get more of that? Well, look, if you're, if you're, the challenge is this day and age is that if you're in that unrelenting, unremitting stress, always busy, I would always recommend you can get magnesium through your diet, but if you're suffering with stress or anxiety, try a really good quality magnesium supplement for starters. 
and just see like an again mild to moderate depression you'll always see an improvement to some degree with starting on a good quality magnesium supplement and then you can sort of use the herbs as well if you need to b vitamins zinc vitamin c all of these nutrients when you're under the pump and if you're actually experiencing anxiety can really help to give you a better baseline while you're working then on the lifestyle changes and it sounds like it's a nice little shot in the arm to start with regardless. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Magnesium is fantastic. Mm. But it has to be a really good quality one that's absorbed well, um, doesn't give you diarrhea as some of them do. And we don't want that. We don't want that. Because you'll be anxious about the, <laughs> the fact that you've got that going on. Any last thoughts on anxiety before we let you head out into the big wide world? Um, look, again, as I said, get the acute stuff under control and then your lifestyle stuff always, um, um, you know, Come back to come back to a good good healthy diet. We've talked before about. I always relate liver health back to anxiety. If someone's liver under, liver is under stress, mm. if they're having too much coffee, alcohol, like some of my patients will say, if they drink a couple of drinks on the weekend, they'll be more anxious the next day. So, avoiding those things while you're trying to heal and repair. Um, connect with friends, keeping in touch with people, maintain your support network. Exercise ideally outdoors. Um, avoid caffeine. Caffeine actually has a half-life of six hours. So if you have a cup of coffee in the morning, six hours later you've still got half that amount of caffeine. So if you have a cup of coffee at mid-morning and a cup of coffee, cup of coffee at lunch, then by mid-afternoon you'll still have half the cup from the morning and you'll probably have another three-quarters of a cup from the one you had at lunchtime. And if you have another one in the afternoon, you've got the equivalent of two cups of coffee in your bloodstream going to bed. So caffeine definitely, if you're suffering from anxiety or insomnia, you need to come off caffeine altogether. Mm, great if you're doing shift work overnight, but for the rest, not so much. <laughs> well, that's why you do it for shift work, because it'll keep you awake. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Peter, always uh, some great insight there. Thank you. My pleasure, Mark. Uh, next week, according to your notes, uh, we'll be talking fertility. Fantastic. Well, that'll be a good, interesting topic for you and I. Well, you've got kids. Some, you're fine. Some, you're yeah. sorted. You're well, sorted. My Peter. kids are 24 and 20. I'm long past that. Maybe they need some more brothers and sisters. Uh, no, no, no. No midlife crisis. Dana, here. if you're listening, Peter's <laughs> looking to expand the family. Alrighty, that's Health and Wellbeing with Peter Mullen. He'll be back next week, next Tuesday afternoon, right here at 2 RFM 103.7. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2 RFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.